Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. The way people divide themselves, like at our school lunches growing up, is often considered a normal way of relationship. However, as we continue in the letter of James, we will discover that faith in Christ leads us to care and enter into relationships with all people without favoritism. I remember uh, back in middle school, Social life being a very difficult thing to navigate. I mean, social life is difficult to navigate even as an adult, let's be honest. But in middle school, you have, when you're in classes, you are forced to sit in a particular seat in the midst of classes. So you could not sit where you wanted to. You had to sit where the teacher told you to sit. Now, it stunk. It stinks when you're fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You're like, I don't want to sit by my friends. We have funny jokes, we'll whisper stuff in the middle and stuff. Well, there's a reason why teachers do that in middle school, because middle schoolers and elementary schoolers have zero clue on how their friends influence them. Zero clue. Uh, rather, it's just, you know, whatever, I'm, I want to have fun, that kind of a thing. And so teachers put this seating chart together to maintain some semblance of order in the classroom. How do I know this? I have a teacher for a wife, and she talks, telling me all the time about how that seating chart is so important, and usually after a new quarter or new semester starts, uh, she'll have one, and then she's adjusting stuff after day one, (laughs) because she realizes these two people do not mix well together. But the one place in your social life as a middle schooler where you could be yourself was lunch table. Because that was when you could choose who you were sitting with. You could sit down, and I grew up with those really long tables with the two-person benches, and, and yeah, that's, that's what I grew up. I don't know if that's what kids still sit on these days or not. But I remember having a, a friend group that we had similar interests. We had inside jokes. We had similar, <laughs> we would swap food items. What? You got Dunkaroos? Uh, What will you take for them? If you don't know what Dunkaroos are, they are the most exquisite lunch snack you will ever have. That's right. Cookies and frosting. That's, That's it. That's all you need. I'm sold. I like them as adults. You can still buy them at Sam's Club if you would like to pick some up for some nostalgia's sake. I digress. (laughs) In that lunch table, you would have your different ways, your your relating, your your shared interests, all these things. And the way to make the lunch table in middle school awkward is actually to introduce somebody new to the friend group, right? Now, if a friend brought a new person to the friend group, they might find their way into the friend group. They might, because they came with this person. But if somebody just comes and sits with you, mind if I sit here? Oh, no. That rarely ends up being a great thing. In fact, it's usually very awkward. And even the person who was brought by a friend sometimes never makes it into your social group because, well, we as humans tend to have favorites in our life, do we not? We have favorite people who we want to be around. We have favorite interests that we want to talk about. We have favorite ways of thinking. And favoritism 
quite frankly, is often accepted as just something that happens. Something that happens. Well, that's just normal. Clicks happen. Groups of people happen. That's just what it is. But in today's passage, James has something to say about favoritism. And it's pretty much opposite to what we often accept as a normal thing. Today we will be in James chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. And before we read it, and as you get out your Bibles or your apps, or you're just going to read on the screen, let me just share, let's catch ourselves up a little bit to what we have talked about thus far in the book of James. The book of James is a letter to all Christians, to all people who say, I follow Jesus, I am a slave of Jesus, to brothers and sisters in the faith. And James talks about what faith looks like in real life, what the actions of people who have faith in Jesus do and what they don't do. And what we learned is that faith, in the very first moment, faith is legitimately going to God for everything in your life. Because God is generous. God will give you everything that you need to forgive somebody, to love people. God will give you everything that you need, like wisdom in the moments that you need to make a decision or in the moments that you're in the midst of conflict. God will provide you whatever you need to live this life of faith. And so faith is actually not just a belief. It's actually going to God for every single thing over and over and over. And God doesn't get sick of it. Praise the Lord. And last week, as we began to move forward in the introduction, he hints of some things that he's going to talk about that's going to challenge what we know, what we accept as normal. And he says to the people who are reading this letter, he says to us, make sure you're quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Because some of the things that we're going to talk about, you might get angry about. Sadly, so often we as humans get offended or combative when we are challenged with something that we don't want to give up. And so, his first piece of what he's going to address is favoritism. James chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, reads this. My brothers and sisters, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been resurrected in glory. Imagine two people coming into your meeting. One has a gold ring and fine clothes, while the other is poor, dressed in filthy rags. Then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, here is an excellent place, sit here. But to the poor person you say, stand over there, or here, sit at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourselves and become evil-minded judges? My dear brothers and sisters, listen! Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor. 
Don't the wealthy make life difficult for you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good name spoken over you at your baptism? You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But when you show favoritism, you're committing a sin. And by that same law, you are exposed as a lawbreaker. Anyone who tries to keep all of the law but fails at one point is guilty of failing to keep all of it. The one who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, you are a lawbreaker. In every way then, speak and act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom. There will be no mercy and judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy overrules judgment. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, hey, hey, go in peace. Stay warm. Have a nice meal. What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. There's so much here that we're going to unpack. But immediately when James talks about do not show favoritism, I'm reminded of all of the conversations I had with pastors and parents and mentors alike over the years. Yeah, don't, don't judge people. Don't be favorite. You know, don't, don't do this stuff in this world. Don't judge people for how they look or how they're dressed or what they might believe and all these different kinds of things. And on the surface, many of us say, yeah, you don't have to be Christian to say, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what happens is whenever we hear that advice so much, it becomes just sort of a, well, something we end up ignoring. Because when you hear it so often, it just doesn't carry the weight that it actually should have in our lives. So when James says favoritism is a sin, okay, maybe I need to be a little shaken out of my complacency when it comes to this. Because what we do is we go back to, well, it's just normal for cliques and it's normal for favorites and it's normal for all of these different ways that we relate with each other. James says, no, it's not. It is a sin if you believe in Christ and look to follow him and live in him. That shakes us to our core because we don't want that to be a sin. So what is favoritism? What is this thing that is so bad? It's the Greek for favoritism literally means to take a hold of only by the surface appearance of somebody. So to show favoritism is to, well, 
look at somebody or take in somebody and make a judgment call about how you are going to relate with them from here on out. Now, let's really be honest. Appearance doesn't just involve the eyes. Appearance also involves how a person speaks and what we hear from them. Or, yeah, we can even say smell. Appearance includes multiple senses when it comes to this. And so favoritism is legitimately making a call about somebody and what you're willing to do for that person or be with that person just by what you have experienced with them in the moment. And so, as you begin to flesh that out, you recognize that James talks specifically about favoritism in regards to socioeconomics, wealthy and poor. But you and I both know there are plenty of other ways that we look at people and then make judgment calls and whether or not we are going to spend time with them, serve them, be generous to them. Right? Are there not appearances of people of, of a certain ethnicity that might cause us, if we want to spend time with them or be with them? Are there not certain smells of certain people that keep us away from them and we come back, eh, I'm not sure about that. Are there not appearances of, of people of a certain kind of sexuality that cause us to make judgments and not necessarily relate or love those people? You know, what's crazy is that the things that we wear on our faces here at church have become a way for us to judge each other, whether you're wearing one or not. These are acts of favoritism that is a sin, according to what James has said. And it's because we are called as Christ followers, as people who have faith in God, to love our neighbor. And James basically puts it out there. It is impossible to love your neighbor when you prefer another neighbor over the other. It's impossible. It's impossible. Just, just vision for your moment, okay? You have a neighbor on your right and you have a neighbor on your left. The one on the right brought you a pie when you first moved into your house. The left one yells obscenities at their dogs the entire time. I like the neighbor on the right. I don't go near the neighbor on the left. Are you loving that labor, neighbor on the left? Mm, probably not. It is impossible to love your neighbor when you prefer another neighbor over the other. When you put a hierarchy system into the kind of people who deserve love and generosity and service in your time, you are making degrees of love, essentially. <laughs> you probably don't love the ones on the bottom. So he continues to flesh this out even more by bringing up the example of somebody coming into the worship service, into the gathering and things like that. We're going to end with that example. I want to jump down to the piece where he begins to talk about the law. 
Because the law, as he has put it, the royal law is love your neighbor. Now, because James is Jewish, he recognizes that all of the law that came to him in the Old Testament is summed up in Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Love God, love your neighbor. So everything that came before him is in that one single statement. But what we do sometimes is we sometimes go into Scripture and we hear a certain commandment and we will easily obey the commandment that's easy to obey and ignore the ones that are not so easy to obey for us. And what we do is, well, we actually put a hierarchy of commandments. We take commandments and we say, well, it's easy not to murder people. It's for some of us. It's easy not to murder people, but, yeah, you know, coveting, wanting what my neighbor has, wanting what another, yeah, it's not that bad, right? What we begin to do is we begin to take pieces of what God has shown and we begin to make them in competition. And then we also judge other people in the same kind of way. Well, my struggle with lust as a straight person isn't as bad as the lust of somebody who is gay. And I have heard people say this. I have heard Christians say this. But the reality of it is, is that, as James has put it, when you have broken one law, you have broken them all. Because the law isn't the Ten Commandments. The law is love God and love your neighbor. When we transgress in any kind of way, we transgress against God. Because God's the one who gave the law. God is the one who gave this life. God is the one who has given us the right way of living. So when it comes to favoritism, we might think, that's just normal. Favoritism is just a normal part of life. No, it isn't. And guess what? It's just as bad as murdering your neighbor. Uh, that hurts. That hurts. And it's because Jesus has done the most amazing thing by dying and raising from the grave. There are no divisions among us as people. And we as Christians are to live that out regardless of how many people are vying for us to join their faction and to join their division in the world. We are to love people without favorites. Because at the end of the day, breaking God's law is a transgression against Him, not against the law. There is no such thing as misdemeanor and felony sins. You hear that? There's no such thing as misdemeanor and felony sins. Misdemeanors in our own law is like you'll get a fine or you'll get probation or things like that. In felonies, you're in jail. There's no such thing because the royal law of God is to love him and love our neighbors. And the moment that we fail to do that, the moment that we choose not to do that, we have broken everything. Which means, friends, 
we come to the very end of this passage where he begins to talk about positive action. Because so much of the commandments are don't murder, don't covet, don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't, don't. It's negative. Okay, so I'm just not going to do that stuff. But what James begins to share is that in the moments that we see somebody in need, are you just going to go tell them, hey, I hope you get what you need somewhere else when you can actually provide that need? I mean, think about this for a moment. The picture that he says, what if, imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, hey, go in peace, stay warm. I know you don't have any clothes, but stay warm, good luck. Hey, I hope you find a meal. See, this is what we call a sin of omission. To steal, to kill, to do all of these things of the commandments that we hear all the time, those are sins of commission. But to, do, to see something that you know is the right thing to do and then to turn the other way is a sin of omission. If you see somebody in need and turn your face the other way and go about your business, we have broken the royal law of love your neighbor as yourself. And it's why he is so... He is so blunt and says, faith without good works is dead. Don't claim Christ if you're not going to help those in need around you. Do not claim Christ if you are going to see people who are struggling and not do anything for them. Don't do it. As servants of Christ, we are called to put actions on the acceptance and mercy that God has given. Favoritism is... The, 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 <laughs> the remedy to favoritism is acceptance and mercy. But it's not just saying, oh yeah, I like that person from afar. It is actually going to actively love that person beyond the judgments that we have. We are called as Christians to put on actions of acceptance and mercy that God has given, we are to actively love all people. Here's the interesting piece. Sometimes we as churches, sometimes we as Christians can go to the piece of actively loving somebody at an arm's distance. In other words, what we do is, I'll go and help this person here or there, but I'm not going to remember their name. And that's when we come back to what James talks about when a wealthy person walks into their gathering and you might say, hey, sit here, sit next to me. And the poor person, you say, go over there. When we are willing to help the poor people but not bring them right next to us at the same table, we're doing the same exact thing. It's not just about service or acceptance. It's both. So I always find it interesting when people say, well, I really really want to reach these kinds of folks. 
but not but in, in a place that's not their own home or in the place that's not in the church building or in the places... I'll meet them out in public, but... Yeah. When we do this, we are right back into the pit of favoritism. And this is why James talks about what it means to be rich in terms of faith. Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Because the reality is, is once you have been in poverty, very rarely are you willing to judge anybody because of the things that you felt like you have needed to do to survive. Because the reality of it, friends, is if we begin to define people by how much they have, if we define people by the way that they look or the things that they say or whether they do this or subscribe to this political ideology, if we do this whole thing with racism or sexism or even nationalism, when we see people of other countries as subpar citizens of the world, we are showing favoritism. I know Olympics is starting. You want to cheer for the United States. I get it. The moment that you want that other athlete to get hurt or to lose and things, that's, you're starting to show the favoritism. Sports really is our gateway drug to favoritism, by the way. Steeler fans, I love you. I'm a Browns fan, you know. But it really is. When we begin to define people and say, I'm going to go... Reach out and serve these folks. No, serve every person you are with. Because to just do one or the other, you begin to define people in the ways that the world defines them. When you're missing the fact that they are children of God. And they are to be loved. Because Jesus loves us all. And we are to love as He has loved. Not just in acceptance, and not just in service, but in both. And it comes to the last piece that I think just hits us. When the poor cannot find a place in a Christian church, substitute poor for when the fill-in-the-blank cannot find a place in a Christian church, that church no longer has any connection to Jesus. When the marginalized cannot find a place in the Christian church, that church has no connection to Jesus. So if we're going to do lines of demarcation, white church, black church, Hispanic church, if we're going to do conservative church, mainline church, evangelical church, all of this are gateways to losing the plot, losing the way that Jesus has called us to live. And it's difficult because you and I have been given, we are byproducts of what those before us have done. Church of the Nazarene, I, I, love, I love our church. But in the 50s and 60s, the Church of the Nazarene was one of the main denominations that participated in white flight. If you don't know what white flight is, it is when 
those who are middle class and white left the cities and the urban poor began to be in the downtown. And that's where you get the term inner city. The churches followed their tithers. They did not stay in the neighborhoods that they were founded in. It's not the way. We either are churches of the people around us or we're going to play favorites. The Southern Baptist Church, which still to this day has very significant issues with racism, built so many of their churches in the past century with balconies. You know why those balconies were, in, were constructed? Because after integration happened, that is where African Americans and people of color were to sit while the white folks sat on the main floor. We have bad examples and we have, ex we have these things that are just ingrained within us that we just say, oh, this, this is normal. No, it's not. This is not how Christ, this is not how God has created us to be as people. Essentially, what we have done in the church is we have adopted a middle school lunch mentality. You're allowed to be in, you're not. Think about, think about that for a second. At middle school, when we actually get to spend time together, not, when we're not forced to be together, because in class you have to be forced to sit by that person who you don't want to sit by. You're forced to sit by that person who looks differently or wears different colors or different brands of clothing or, or different, uh, different uh, um, interests and things like that. You're forced to do it out in the world, out in the public, in front of the teacher. But once you get to where you want to be, get all those other folks out of here. It's a middle school mentality. James is, ask, is telling us, not asking, he is telling us to move out of it. Get away from the middle school mentality and serve those in need and invite them to our tables. Don't just go and serve the homeless. Bring them to your own table. Bring them to your own gathering. Bring them into your own homes. For this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived. And if we say that we have faith in him, we are to live as he lived. We are to be as he was. And we are to act like he did. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you are inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.